0: Good morning, everyone. How are we doing? Good. I guess I don't need this mic, do I? Double up. Um, it's, do- it's good to be with you guys this morning. And uh, i grateful for Steve and Brian giving me another opportunity to preach. Um, maybe I passed some test they had and they, <laughs> they gave me another chance. Um, but, uh, but honestly, I'm really humbled at the opportunity. Um, to preach God's Word. I mean, we're, we're talking the very words of God. Amen. And I get to share them with you, and um, I just think that's so amazing, and I'm really grateful. Um, the lesson today, uh, it, it has become near and dear to my heart uh, as I've been studying through it. The lesson is titled, titled oh, Remember Your First Love, there it is. Um, and we're going to focus our attention today on the church in Ephesus or the Ephesians, and this sermon, it stems from a personal Bible study that I did, that I actually started about four weeks ago. Catherine and I, uh, like you guys know, we came back from Colorado uh, from our trip out there, and while we were there, we had a communion service that Brian Plymel led for us up at Catherine's grandparents' cabin, so we're up in the mountains, it's beautiful, and he does this this communion service out of Ephesians 2. And it just struck a chord with me, and I was like, you know what, I really want to get the, the context of, of what he's reading and kind of go through the whole book. So that day I, I read through the rest of Ephesians, and I was just amazed at, at what Paul was talking about to this church in Ephesus. And a connection was made, and I, maybe you can relate, but when you're, reading, when you're reading the Bible and you're like, wait a second that is exactly like this. That I, and you start flipping the page, pages backwards. You're like, oh my gosh, I had no idea they were connected. And it, it just goes back and forth. And you're like, wow, this is incredible. It's not just one verse. It's the whole book. It's the whole Bible. And so that that happened to me. And I was really excited to dive deeper into the book of Ephesians when I got back home. and And so that's what I did. And and I was really excited about this, this theme that I had realized, but I'm not going to share that theme with you today because we're going to have a family retreat in August, which is based on that theme. And so I don't want to give anything away. Um, but as I, yeah, exactly, <laughs> a little teaser. Um, but as I, as I started digging into Ephesians, this theme that I had realized, the Holy Spirit took me a different direction. And the, the first day I, I really started getting into it, he revealed something else that really uh, struck a chord with me again. And I just love how the Holy Spirit keeps us on our toes. And so uh, this is the lesson. It wasn't the lesson I intended four weeks ago, but I'm really excited to share it. Um, so let's pray, and then we'll dive into a little background on Ephesus. Dear Heavenly Father, it's so good to be with our family here this morning. Thank you for bringing everyone here safely, Um, and um, God, thank you for the way your spirit has just been moving thus far, and I just pray that you would continue to work in our hearts and our minds. God, help us to remember you, and how before we were even born, you loved us and pursued us, and you had plans for us, and I pray that we remember your love for us and our love for you, and uh, God, I want to say special prayers for Scott and uh, Nellie. Uh, I pray that you would um, just overwhelm them with your presence in their life right now and help them to just feel your embrace and to know that you, um, that you are in control. And I pray that we can just gather around and support them and love them. And, and uh, I pray that um, you would just be glorified through everything in our lives. pray these things in your son's name. Amen. So we have this background on the church in Ephesus. Of course... Uh, Many of us know the book of Ephesians, but here's a few tidbits about the church. The church was originally planted in the early 50s, not the 1950s, but like 52 A.D., a <laughs> long time ago, and with the help of Priscilla and Aquila and Paul, they launched this church in Ephesus. Uh, this church was primarily made up of Gentiles, um, which Gentiles were not God's chosen people. They, they received the gospel after Jesus had died. And so uh, it's, it's this group of just kind of a hodgepodge mix of people. And uh, it was a port city on the Aegean Sea and near the Great Sea. So with a port city, you, you just get a hotbed of different lifestyles, different theologies, different practices, different sins that are coming in and out of this place. There was a lot of traveling, a lot of importing, exporting, um, a lot of traffic going on there. It kind of reminds me of L.A., Los Angeles, this is a very liberal, accepting place. It's a very trendy place. What's the, what's the new age? What's the new philosophies? It's kind of like L.A. Think about it, L.A. We don't have a port on, in the South Bay, praise the Lord. The port's down in Long Beach. Uh, lots of traffic with the trucks down there. But uh, it, it fostered just this kind of everything goes. Um, it was the capital of the Roman Empire in Asia. So they had a major influence on the rest of Asia, this, this city of Ephesus. It was very influential. Uh, there was a lot of idol worship going on, primarily the, uh, the goddess of fertility, Artem- Artemis or Diana. And the, the temple for Artemis was actually um, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was massive. Um, I have a few specks here. It was... The temple, from what they have discovered from the ruins, it was about 240 feet wide. Think about that for a sec. 240 feet and 418 feet long. Huge. Bigger than a football field. If you like to think in terms of sports. Uh, In addition, Paul was in Ephesus for three years on his third missionary journey. It was the longest time that he had spent in any city. He was there for three years. And while he was there other churches in Asia were planted. So not only was it a a very influential place in terms of philosophies and stuff, the church was very influential. And and what they were doing and what was going on in Ephesus, it it led to the planting of uh, Colossae and Laodicea and Heropolis. So let's look at some of the amazing things that happened in the early days of this church when Paul was with them. In Acts 19, if you'd like to turn over... Oh, actually, here, I'll show you. Uh, there's uh, the three churches that were planted while Paul was in Ephesus. Um, so in Acts 19, if you turn over there, this is the one scripture I didn't put up on the screen. So you guys actually have to do some work for this one. Acts 19 and verse 9. So we're going to look at some of, these, uh, some of the miraculous things that happened in Ephesus while Paul was there. It says in verse 9. But some of them became obstinate, they refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyranus. This went on for two years, so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. That's pretty amazing. God did extraordinary th- miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of the Jesus whom Paul preaches. It's kind of weak. (laughs) I command you to come out. Seven Seven sons of Sceva... A Jewish high uh, chief priests were doing this one day the evil spirit answered them Jesus I know and Paul I know about but who are you (laughs) then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them he gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding (laughs) put him in his place um when this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear. And the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. They turned themselves in because of what they saw. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. In this way, the, Lord, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. And, and it's, it's been said that a drachma was a, worth about a day's wages at that time. So 50,000 days worth of wages. That's like if you were to work every single day for 150 years back in that time. Um, pretty amazing, these magicians, they came forward. So some of, these, some of these amazing things that happened through this church in Ephesus, all of this happened in this city while Paul was there. And so while Paul was there, some, some other churches were, were planted in Asia. Diseased and sick people, they were healed just by touching a handkerchief or an apron that Paul had touched. Now, I don't, I don't want to go around touching anyone's handkerchiefs in here, I don't. I don't think any of us possess that power. But Paul was just—he—he was—he was, he was mouthpiece in this city, and they saw Jesus working through him. There were evil spirits; these guys that were trying to do these miracles that Paul was doing, in the name of the Lord that, that Jesus follow, or that Paul followed, um, and they got jumped by this dude with demon uh, with demons in him. And they ran out like little girls. <laughs> magicians
1: <laughs>
0: Now, if it was women that got jumped, I'd say they ran out like little boys or something. It's whatever. <laughs> um, but there were a lot of magicians and sorcerers uh, in this city. Like I said, it was very liberal place. Anything goes. And so there were a lot of magicians and sorcerers, but when they saw the miracles that were going on amongst the disciples and in this church, they turned themselves in. They had all these magic books. I think of like Hogwarts and, and you know Harry Potter. All these magic books that they just turned in and burned. That They had probably set, spent most of their wages trying to acquire these books. But they said, hey, it's all worth it to serve God. Amen. The church in Ephesus at this time... It appears to be rocking and rolling. They were killing it for God. And for those who don't understand that slang, killing it, that's a good thing. Um, To bring you up to date with our terminology. They were killing it for God. The Ephesians, they were on fire with Paul at the helm. And Ephesus, it was no deep south Bible belt. It was... It was a city that was downright sinful and was not ashamed to flaunt it. So before Paul left Ephesus to continue his journey after these three years, some of his parting words with the elders there were in the form of a warning, which we read in Acts 20. Acts 20, verse 28. It says, Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So Paul warns them to protect the flock. Watch for these savage wolves that will try to take my sheep, that will try to take my children from me. Watch out for them. They were kind of like bouncers for God's kingdom. You know, hey, if you see any evil guys trying to enter, you get them out of there. If they have any evil intent, kick them out. If people arise, if evil arises from within, get them out of there. Protect the flock. Amen. Amen. And so the year is about 57 A.D. at this point. About five years after the church was originally planted. And Paul is about to pack his, his bags and continue on his journey. Paul wrote the book of Ephesians about three to five years later. So 57 A.D. he, he left. And about 60, 61 A.D., he wrote the book of Ephesians to this church in Ephesus. So a quick little timeline, just uh, so I didn't lose anyone. 52 AD, the church was planted. 57 AD, Paul leaves Ephesus after three years. Awesome things happened. The church grew. And then 61 AD, around that time, Paul wrote the book of Ephesians. So we're going to fast forward 35 years. Think about that in terms of your own life. If you were to fast forward 35 years from now, How old would you be? What do you think you'll be doing? That might be encouraging to some. (laughs) Uh, Some of you might be with the Lord by that point, and that's really awesome. (laughs) But we're going to fast forward 35 years to 96 A.D. And this is when Jesus himself addresses the church of Ephesus. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 2. So when I said that the Holy Spirit has a way of keeping me on my toes, I thought I would be doing a study on the book of Ephesians, and then I was pointed to more of this history of the church of Ephesus, and other places that this church appears in the Bible, not just in the book of Ephesians. So in Revelation chapter 2, like I said, Jesus Himself, if you look in your Bibles and you have a red letter Bible, those, these words will be red, Okay. It says in verse two, I know your deeds to the church in Ephesus. I know your deeds, your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles, but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Thirty five years later, it still looks like the church is killing it for God. This is, man, if I was the church in Ephesus, that, this would be a pretty awesome pat on the back from Jesus right here. I'd be fired up. That warning that Paul had given them in Acts chapter 20 to protect the flock, keep these savage wolves out. They did it almost perfectly, it seems. They did exactly what Paul told them to do. You didn't tolerate wicked people, you protected the flock. they got an A plus in this area and uh and it and then Jesus goes on, um you know he gives us this, this huge encouragement, and we like encouragement sandwiches, don't we? Some encouragement, a little bit of challenge, some more encouragement, and that's exactly what Jesus is about to do to them. Hey, you've done an awesome job in these areas, but then he gets down to business in verse 4. It says in Revelation 2, 4, Yet I hold this against you. Not so fast. I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Point number one, redefine your height. We're going to focus on verse five first, and then we're going to come back to verse four. It says in verse five, consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. I believe the Ephesians, they became so fixated on upholding their doctrine and standing firm in their convictions that their worth as Christians became rooted in these two things. That's where they, they, they got their worth and their power from, their, their pride from. They were excellent at protecting the flock, like Paul had warned them. And they were excellent at persevering for Christ's sake. He says, He says, You endured hardships for my name. It seems that their spiritual height was growing And growing and growing because of their righteous deeds. Because of their righteous and spiritual accomplishments. It's crazy how we can get so much pride and meaning from our performance. By doing hard things or being courageous, it makes us feel taller and bigger and we can handle more. I'm sure we can all think of someone who did something crazy and just extreme just for the sake of doing it. Saying they did it. Not necessarily for any logical reason. But just to do it. And uh, one, of my, one of my favorite comedians is Brian Regan. Does anyone know Brian Regan? No? Oh, nice. <laughs> um, and he does, we're, we're going to watch a little bit about him real quick. But he does this, this little sketch called The, the Me Monster. And... It's all about just measuring ourselves by our accomplishments. That's where we get our worth. So we'll watch that right now.
1: I'm actually kind of quiet off stage. A lot of people don't realize that. I was at a dinner party recently. A bunch of people that I don't know. One guy talking plenty for everybody. Me, myself, right? And then I. And then myself. Me, me. I couldn't tell this one about I because I was talking about myself. And then me, me. 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 Where the me monster? So I tried to jump in with a little story. I don't want to just sit there the whole night. Right when I'm done with my story, this guy goes, "That ain't nothing." <laughs> oh, well. Didn't mean to waste everybody's time. <laughs> Telling my nothing story. Here, let Marco Polo speak. <laughs> He's back with tales of adventure. story ain't nothing maybe it wasn't because I made the mistake of trying to tell a story about having only two wisdom teeth pulled and I learned a lesson don't ever try to tell a two wisdom tooth story because you ain't going nowhere the four wisdom teeth people are going to parachute in and cut you off at the pass Halt, halt with your two wisdom tooth tail you will never complete one trust me I'm trying to tell my story. You know, I had some wisdom teeth pulled. I had, um, I had two, I had four pulled. Oh, okay. No five, no nine. I had nine wisdom teeth pulled. All of mine were impacted. They were all coming upside down. The roots were up around my tongue, coming out my nose. They were tusks. I was a warthog. No anesthesia. They pulled them out with pliers. I was eating corn in the cob that afternoon. pin the blue ribbon upon his chest that knocks the socks off of my wisdom tooth tail why do people need to top other people I've never understood it and I see it all the time obviously people get something out of it at best people wait for your lips to stop yeah as soon as okay yeah you me you me you see the difference you see, you see that? <laughs> now I do. That's <laughs>
0: <laughs> So that's Brian Regan. I'd highly suggest watching more of him. But, um, but he talks about comparing each other. You know, we compare ourselves to each other because of our accomplishments. And you see, you see there, that's me. It's me here. You're here. You see the difference do you see the difference between what I've done and what you've done in your life? Yeah. Just stop talking. <laughs> and and it's I mean, it, it might be a little bit of a stretch, but I wanted to figure out a way to get Brian Regan. <laughs> but, but we do we can do this with our spiritual accomplishments as well. And Jesus, he says, He says, uh, consider how far you have fallen. I think Jesus is saying, you think your height is here because of what you have accomplished, because of all your spiritual deeds. But this is where you, you know, this is where you were at first when you were in a love relationship with me. You see how you have fallen? You think you have grown, but you don't remember where you were at first. He says, do the things you did at first. I think if Jesus would have expanded on this scripture... He may have compared the Ephesians to the Pharisees. You honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. We can act and, and look so much like the good Christians. While our hearts are far from Christ. We can uphold God's word in our lives for the sake of routine. Or to please our parents, teens. Or even, or even just, to, just to please those around us but all the while totally neglecting and even leaving behind our relationship with God. In Proverbs 16, 2, it says, All a person's ways seem pure to them, but motives are weighed by the Lord. How do you measure your relationship with God? On what scales do you weigh your righteousness? By your righteous deeds or by your devotion to God. God tells us very clearly that his eyes are fixed on our motives. He says, I am weighing your motives. Think of all the crime shows and the movies that have come about in the last decade or so. It's all about crime and trying to solve the crime. Who did it? And, and cops and FBI agents, all these people, they're always looking for a motive. Does someone have a motive to do this crime? And if they do, then you're in trouble. We're going to find you out. They're looking for the motive. Our motives will determine our spiritual outcome, not our deeds. Jesus redefines our spiritual height. I believe he's telling the Ephesians, and maybe some of us, At times in our life, you're measuring your height based on your accomplishments. You're building on the wrong foundation. You're building with your deeds and your perseverance and your endurance and not growing weary. You're building on these things on shepherding the flock and and enduring hardship for my name. But I want you to build on your love for me and your devotion to me. You've built a tall and mighty righteous deeds tower. Unfortunately, your devotion to God's shack is overshadowed by it. Has your devotion to your Christian checklist exceeded your devotion to Christ? In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, this is in the NASB version. It says, for the love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. It says, for the love of Christ controls us. This word control in the Greek, it, it talks about keeping something together putting pressure on all sides to keep something together. And if that pressure is released, then everything falls apart inside. Christ's love keeps us together. It controls us. And then he goes on to say, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf, on our behalf. Jesus, he never... He never got any kind of satisfaction or worth out of kind of rising on the cross and and being glorified. Look at me. He didn't do any of his miracles for his own attention. He didn't go through everything he went through for himself, but out of a love for us on our behalf. And so we, too, should do the same thing in our relationship with Jesus. Love him. And do things for him because we love him on his behalf, not be, for our own self glorification. How are you currently measuring your spiritual height? By your accomplishments? By being bold and courageous for Christ? If so, we need to redefine our height. God wants your love and devotion all your spiritual acts will flow from this love relationship with God. The second point is remember your first love, the title of the lesson. You know, I I found it interesting that in this book of Ephesians, Paul wrote his letter uh, in in six short chapters. You can read it in 20, 30 minutes. And he used the, the verb or noun of love 19 times in six chapters. This means that out of 155 verses, if, if you like math or science, 155 verses, the word love appears in one out of every eight verses. Paul was instilling love into the Ephesians in this letter. It wasn't just, I mentioned it at the, at the beginning of the chapter, don't you remember that, or the beginning of the book? Yet in verse 4 of Revelation 2, it says, Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Maybe Paul saw or heard some rumblings going on in Ephesus of maybe them losing their love for God. Maybe he heard something going on, so he just wanted to instill in them, remember the love. Maybe he heard that, ah oh, man, they, they seem like they're, they're kind of becoming like the Pharisees. All about the works. They're upholding this warning, but it's maybe at the loss of their love. In any sense, Paul didn't want them to leave their motive for their love of God. And he didn't want them to leave their spiritual foundation of his love for them. I want you to think about a time, uh, time in your life when you met maybe your spouse and the months that followed. And if you don't have a spouse... Maybe think of a relationship, a boyfriend or girlfriend, or an interest you had. The months that followed, the beginning stages. What was said? What did you feel? Uh, when I first met Catherine, well, we met a long time ago because our parents are friends from when I was a little kid. But when I met her as an adult, and I didn't really know her in the time in between, uh, it was at it was at one of our campus conferences in Orange County, and. I remember I was going to I was going to talk to one of my ex-girlfriends who was a very close friend of mine at that point and we were gonna gather a group around to go to lunch and she was talking to Catherine. I was like, Oh, I think that's Catherine Pymel. I I should meet her because I just stayed with her family for a few nights. And so I went over there and I was talking with her, and in a few short minutes, I was amazed at just her maturity. And how comfortable in her own skin she was, I was just like, "Wow, this girl is awesome. I think I, think I can fit one more date in on this uh, conference <laughs> weekend." And, um, and so that was the first time I thought I, I met her, and I, I was just like, I was so impressed. And our first date was uh, a few days later, while I was still in California, and just talking about our interests and our goals and I was, oh man, she she got me a little bit more and she wrapped me around her finger a little bit more. I was like, wow, who is this 18-year-old girl that just graduated high school? And uh, I was almost 23 at the time, so you guys can do the math. Um, if, yeah, and so I was like, it's all right. She's in college. <laughs> I can pursue this. Um, <laughs> and so... So then we, we started talking on the phone, and I was living in Colorado at the time, and, and so it was kind of insecure because I was like, I really want to pursue her and build a friendship with her, but I don't know if she likes me back. Am I wasting my time? Is, you know, is, does she have some other guy in mind? I have no idea. I can't read her body language over the phone. And so kind of this insecure, but I, I was just like, you know what, God, I'm going to go after this. And if you bless it, then you bless it. If you steer me a different direction, then amen. And I got a text from, many of you know uh, Olivia Mains. Her cousin was a good friend of mine in Colorado. And he just texted me one night. We didn't correspond too often, but he's like, hey, so this girl you're interested in, she's head over heels for you. I was like, what? <laughs> and... Oh my gosh, I was just filled to overflowing. I was like, she likes me back, it's mutual, yes! (laughs) Victory! And so, it was a mutual like at the time. Mutual love for one another. Our actions stemmed from that love. And our phone calls, and our dates, and our, our, our special conversations, we would have... Dates at Whole Foods in separate states together and eat ice cream. What kind of ice cream are you eating? All of of these things, it stemmed out of this, this mutual interest in one another, this mutual love. And sure, it might have been kind of a more shallow infatuation type of love at that point. But my actions didn't prompt me to love her. My love for her prompted me to act. And now that we've uh, moved past the the infatuation, uh, kids can do that. (laughs) But now that we've moved past the infatuation, we don't have a deeper love for one another because of all the tasks that I complete for her. There have been days when I thought I was loving her by doing all these things for her. And then she comes back and says, You know what? I just haven't felt taken care of and loved by you recently. And I'm thinking, are you kidding me? (laughs) Do you not see that the floor is clean, that I vacuumed it today while you were gone? Do you not see that all the trash was taken out? And do you remember last week when I bought you flowers? Do you remember that? (laughs) Husbands, can you relate? But... But our wives, they want our hearts far more than they want our deeds. And, and with all this marriage talk, we may have lost some, some of the teens and, and college and singles in that. But on multiple occasions, Jesus refers to us, the church, as His bride. As a Christian, you are married to Christ. All those lovey-dovey moments... You remember with your spouse or significant other, Jesus has those with us. I, be- I believe Jesus wants to remind us of a couple things. One, remember how much you loved me. When you got to know me, your love grew for me. We had such special time together. Remember our talks? Remember how you gave up your life in this world for me? And the second is, remember how much I loved you. Before you even knew me, I loved you and pursued a relationship with you. Remember how I gave up my life on a cross for you. I wanted to show you how much I loved you and how much I wanted a relationship with you. Jesus says in verse 5, repent and do the things you did at first. Do what you did at first. So what did the Ephesians do at first? What in did we do at first? If you can remember that far back, maybe you've been around for a while, what did we do at first? You know, it, this made me think of sports and kids. And when kids are six years old playing youth sports, they're not thinking about this newfound hobby, this newfound sport leading them to some multi-million dollar career. That's not what they're thinking about. Their motivation isn't the front cover of Sports Illustrated or rolling up to their posh mansion in some brand new Ferrari. They play because they love it. The blood, sweat, and tears, the victory and the defeat, they all add to this passion they have for the sport. But what happens to so many people when they experience success? They lose their minds. It's like, where did that guy go? It's all about the endorsements and the advertisements, more money, performance-enhancing drugs, whatever it takes to be the best. They forget about their love for the sport because they're caught up in just doing what needs to be done to maintain this image of success. We We see guys like Tiger Woods. Alex Rodriguez, Lance Armstrong, these guys that compromised their love for the sport just so that they could be more successful. Mm -hmm. Teens, some of you are studying the Bible right now. Some of you may be thinking about studying the Bible. I want you to know right now that your your decision to love God and live for him should be out of a response to his love for you. Not because your parents want you to become disciples. Not because it's what you think you should do. Not because us team leaders want you to do it. But because you love God and because he loves you. Bottom line. Don't become like the Ephesians. Choose to live for God because you want a relationship with him. In Ephesians chapter 3, we're going to wrap it up here. We're going to look at a few words that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, remember, in 61 A.D., a few years after he left them. And he's reminding them of this love relationship with Christ. It says in Ephesians chapter 3, we'll actually start in uh, verse 16, and we're not going to go through 29, we're going to go through 19. Um, It says, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power to the measure of all the fullness of God. A few practicals I have for us. If you are visiting with us or maybe you're studying the Bible, you're going through some Bible studies right now, I want you to set up another Bible study or set up your first Bible study. Just find out more about this love relationship, this God who has pursued you your whole life whether you knew it or not. Set up a Bible study. Continue in your studies. Learn about this love that surpasses knowledge. If you're a new disciple, you've you've just gotten your feet wet spiritually, I want you to take some time this week to journal about why you love God. And I want you to also journal about the times that you have felt just so completely overwhelmed by His love for you. I remember Catherine and I did this while we were dating long distance, we're like, you know what, let's just, let's write down some, some uh, times in our life we remember where God was just obviously present and just loving us. And uh, so I want, for new disciples, take some time to journal this week. For the old timers, disciples that are more than 10 years old, uh, we have many of those here. I want to applaud you. You have, you have endured for a long time. You have seen friends who have come and gone from a relationship with God. I know how hard it is to see friends and you're just like, wait a second. Why are you leaving this love relationship? I want to applaud you for sticking in it with your love for God. And, uh, and remaining rooted and established in Christ's love. I want to end with the lyrics from the song we sang right before I came up. Just a few lyrics here. It says, remember seeing what to do. Remember eyes were open wide. Remember every day was new. Remember learning like a child. A child, you hungered for each lesson you learned. And in turn, you passed along each morsel to another, your brother. You tasted that the Lord was good. He filled you. Now don't you forget your first love. You got to remember, remember Remember what you're doing this for. Remember, remember, remember why He is your Lord. Thank you, guys.